0: Have you ever thought of buying a franchise, or currently own one or many? If so, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Franchise Euphoria, the podcast created and hosted by franchise attorney Josh Brown, for the sole purpose of helping people find success through franchising.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Franchise Euphoria. Today I am thrilled to have Michael O'Neill on the show. Michael is the founder and host of the wildly popular Solopreneur Hour podcast, where he helps people considering the entrepreneur lifestyle and those that have already experienced it and can never turn back. So if you are listening and you are at a point in your life where you are trying to decide your next move. and what that should be, or you've already decided and are looking for guidance on clearly identifying your unique attributes and where your place is in the wild world of entrepreneurship, definitely stay tuned in. We will talk about this and much, much more. Without further ado, hello, Michael, and welcome to the show. Josh, thanks so much for having me, man. It's really cool to be here. Well, it really is great to have you. And I told you sort of off air, I'm a big fan of your podcast, The Solopreneur Hour. Um, I can't remember if I stumbled across it just by, you know, searching and through Stitcher or one of the platforms or if somebody had recommended it. But it's, I've listened to quite a bit of them and, and listened for a long time. And I love your style. I love what you're doing. I love your story. And I think that's sort of a great point to jump off of before we dive in to more of the details uh, tell us a little bit about you and your journey and sort of how you got to where where you are
2: today you know how much I love that question Josh. I know
1: <laughs> really. which
2: part which part of my journey would you well
1: like? here's what I really I mean I think that obviously everybody has a story everybody has a history and the real the real reason why I like to ask that question and actually I'm curious why you hate that question but I like that question because <laughs> for a lot of people listening you know There's always a story and people people think that when they listen to somebody who has maybe found where they want to go or found what they want to do, they always forget that it was a process to get there, that there's a backstory. And so sometimes I think hearing somebody's histories, sometimes hearing about where they started to where they got now, even though it's a long and winding journey in most instances, um, can be quite helpful. No, I agree. I think
2: you're 100% accurate about that. It's the it's the the thing is, like you said, everybody has a story. So when and I've, this is coming purely from a um, <clears throat> a a podcast training perspective is why I don't love that question. And here's what I mean is that I don't I, I could say the same thing to you, but I don't know your audience. Only you know your audience. So when when someone starts a conversation with that, well, you know, tell us a bit about yourself. I've got 10 ways I can go with that. I can talk about my, my growing up as a musician, uh, or as an athlete, as um, I can talk about a major thing that happened in my family. I can talk about uh, like a network marketing side or a social media training side. So I have a million ways I could go with that. And without being specific about what we're asking about, what it does as interviewers is it hands over the control to the guest i'll i'll go do 15 minutes on something and you're, you're gonna go oh wait that's not what i meant i was hoping he would go this way so in when it comes to sort of interviewing and, and that's why i don't like that p- p- uh, particular question it's now i know what you're getting at but the and I'm thinking, at least I think I know what you're getting at, do you, are you asking about my, how um, I had this sort of tragedy in my family and then I had to kind of rebuild from there? Is that where you're,
1: you're, you're getting at? Well, I mean, not, not specifically. I mean, it, that right, that's part of go. the story. There's, there you go. My <laughs> yeah, that's my point. That's my point. Well, you know, we know it's funny. Well, let, me, let, me, let me, my background
2: you like to hear about?
1: Well, well, let me tell you, I'll tell you which part. Uh, and, and I don't really, there's not really a specific part. I mean, I know, I know about, the family tragedy and now that we've mentioned it of course you have to talk about it um <laughs> <laughs> so but it's funny that, that that you mentioned that about you know you lose control um as the interviewer but part of it you know for me which was just sort of fascinating and I, a little bit later i want to talk a little bit more about michael gerber but i bring him up right now because when i interviewed him a while back i had a list of you know three pages of questions, you know, and I'm going, man, I've been wanting to interview this guy for a long time. And one of the first questions I asked him was, was real general like that. And it led us down this path of really getting into a whole area in a conversation that I had never anticipated. But what came to be a fascinating interview and sort of an interview where it was like wow i've never heard him talk about stuff like this in any other interview and really diving into the psychology of the entrepreneur and stuff like that and so it's those sort of things where it's like yeah i agree with you i i i, I do lose control a little bit at that point but it's also kind of fun <laughs> because you don't know you don't know to exactly you're putting the accelerator at. and go yeah, exactly. Just kind of go with the flow. No, actually what, what I really, um, getting to the specifics of that, I mean, I think it'd be really beneficial to, you know, talk about y- you, you obviously you're, you, you love music. I know that just from listening. And, and some people who aren't familiar with the podcast may not know that you've got a mus- musical background, you've got a sports background, you've got all these aspects of your life. Did you always know that you were an entrepreneur? Did you always know that you were driven in that direction?
2: Um, I think when I was a kid, and a couple things happened. One, I remember telling my mom, I wanted to buy something. I think it was a new, this is dating myself, but I think it was like a new Walkman. Um, It was the good one, it was the good metal one that was like really super fancy, and it was just a little bit bigger than your tape. And it was, at the time, I want to say it was like 220 bucks or something like that. I remember. Getting up in the morning, it was snowy. I lived outside of Philadelphia and I told my mom, I said, I'm going to, um, I want, I want that Walkman. I want to go get it tonight or later today. And she goes, well, you don't have enough money for it. I'm like, I will. I'm going to make the money by the end of the day. And I literally went door to door knocking on, um, I knocked on everybody's door and said, can I shovel your driveway? And I did it for 10 bucks a driveway or 20 bucks or whatever it was. And I had made enough. For the Walkman by like noon, I worked my butt off, but then I, you know, it's two or three o'clock. I said, "Mom, let's go. We're, I'm good. Let's go get it." She's like, "All right, you sure you want to spend your money on that?" like, Yes, and I got it. I was so excited about it, and I took it to school the next day, and I dropped it and it shattered it in a million pieces. <laughs> True story. But point of it was, is that I was never a. Um, I had a guy that uh, that, you know, my my dad was you know, he grew up in the South. He literally picked cotton when he was a kid. So I, I grew up picking rocks out of the yard and, and I just had a lot of sort of, I think, work. I just figured that you had to work to do anything. Um, had a paper route when I was a kid, had a magazine route when I was a kid, you know? Um, so that was all there. And then the, the, I, I had thought anyway, that I was doing the right thing by going to school and going to college. And then, and then you know coming out and getting into the world and i was going to be a designer and a web guy um and i got out and started doing design and web and print and stuff like that and it took about well i was all right for a while and then i realized somewhere down the road that i, I became unemployable and that was uh and that was only because i started reading too much i started reading michael gerber and i read robert kiyosaki and tim ferris and things like that and Realized that I there was no way I could go and punch the clock anymore, and that's that's sort of what got me on this journey of being a solopreneur.
1: Well, and I mean I think that's a great jumping off point in terms of what you mean by unemployable. I mean I you know the your your tagline for your podcast, uh, the Solopreneur Hour, is job security for the unemployable, and I love that tagline. <laughs> I mean I really do. When I first heard it, I thought that's that's pretty brilliant. Um, but can you explain how you came up with it and and what it really means to you?
2: Yeah, I mean, if if um, <clears throat> to me, I'm proudly unemployable, and I think that people that <clears throat> are in careers where they're they're solopreneurs and they do it for long enough, they realize there's no real way that you can go and punch the clock for some middle manager that knows less than you do. And what happens is, I think there's a there are specific steps you can take to becoming a solopreneur if you have like a regular 9 to 5 job and if you start going down that road and start exposing yourself to these people that are that are really successful and they're on their own and they have time freedom and hopefully they have some t- financial freedom as well it's it it's almost like you can't go back from it you know it's like you've taken the blue pill at this point and you are sort of you sort of see this thing through because once you, I, I always say it's it's for those people that know too much, and a solopreneur to me is someone that is, you know, an entrepreneur is trying to build a company, as, as a solopreneur is really just trying to build a life of time and financial freedom. And if you start reading these books and you go down this road, start really surrounding yourself with these people, it is very very difficult to go and be employed somewhere anymore so you thus become unemployable and once you've done that and you've gone down that road and you've started seeing some success so maybe you build a product online or an information product or you start making passive income one way or the other you then realize that being unemployable is the best way to be and you become proudly unemployable which is what my whole brand is about
1: well i think it really resonated with me because when i first heard it and when I was started listening to your podcast, I thought, Yeah, that's exactly the feeling I had, you know, when I decided to launch out on my own. I mean, for forever I'd worked for other people. I had worked in, you know, the confines of other law firms, even when I had all my own clients, um, but was still working in that environment and was never fully satisfied. And it's it's just one of those things where you know, I think now looking back, I can connect the dots a little bit better. Um, but the the idea back then was, you know, what else are you going to do? You know, I didn't, you know, unlike you, I didn't really grow up thinking I was going to be an entrepreneur or really even identifying that mark. But there was something as I look back at the history uh, in terms of where I've worked, what I've done and those kinds of things where there's always the makings of it at every stop. You know what I mean? And I think that's a big part of, you know, being unemployable. And then I finally just got to the point where I felt like I, I can't do this anymore. I mean, the as I somebody asked me, they said, you know, what when did you finally decide that, you know, you you were going to go out on your own? And I said there came a point when the stress and just the struggle of having to go work in the environment i were in i was in was more stressful than the thought of me taking the leap and going out on my own and right. that's when i sort of felt like okay i'm fully unemployable
2: <laughs> well the thing is one thing keyed me there which was the we we are, this is a choice i mean you you sort of make this choice you can either fall into it because you you know, a lot of people in sales travel so much that they they get so worn down that they're like, I have to do something else. Or you get into the situation where you're in a bad work environment, you have people around you that are that are dragging you down, and you're like, I can't do this anymore. What do I do? Or you can make the conscious choice of, okay, I want to go down this road. And this is this is the thing where it takes, you know, all this you know you pre- you prepare for years to get lucky once, so the that quote unquote luck factor happens because you do start reading the books and you do start surrounding yourself with the people and and yeah then you then you're sort of on the road of unemployability
1: well yeah, and it's it's you touched upon it you know a couple minutes ago where you you were saying that you know you're not looking to build a a huge company which you would align more with being an entrepreneur as opposed to a solopreneur, it kind of reminded me, I I think it was Seth Godin who likes to talk about the difference between a freelancer and an entrepreneur and saying that everybody at at the start of whatever they're creating needs to make that decision. You know, are you going to be a freelancer, which he would define, I think, in line with a solopreneur, where in other words, you're not trying to build a big company. You're trying to build more of a lifestyle business where you're out there. You're putting out a product. You're doing things, and maybe you have independent contractors that work for you, or you have VAs, or you have people who help you on a project by project basis. But you're not looking to build a big, huge company. And you know, it, it's kind of interesting to me because I, I think there's certain personalities that that play in to each aspect. I mean, there's certain people who maybe were more meant to be the entrepreneur that builds the the big legacy style business versus a lot of people now uh, and and I'm sure in the past are more just in line with the whole freelance solopreneur avenue. But how do you really, how do you really know where you fall?
2: Because I think if you still want to work with clients, that's one of the big differentiating factors. If you're a freelancer, you're actively seeking clients to fill your schedule. If you're, a solopreneur or unemployable—you are doing everything you can to not have to service clients. That's—I mean, really—that's as simple as I can make it. It's—it's—it's—it's um, the—it's a mind shift. That I'll, I'll give you an example. So when I was a designer, um, I was a web guy, designer, and uh, branding guy and stuff for many years. And <clears throat> my old business model was me hustling, just me getting referrals and me building websites for people and doing business cards and brand identities and things like that. That's what I would do. Towards the end of it, I would get the and – I, and I would do that to fill my schedule. So I would be really super busy and I would you know uh, try to be making some money. So towards the end, I realized that I, once I've read some of the books that I was trading so much time for money. It's all I was doing. Just, so, just because I was busy and I was making like a little bit of money, that didn't mean I was living any kind of good life. I'd go to work when it was dark and get home when it was dark. And my dog was like, really, dude? So I had to figure something out. And what I started doing was I would go, and I'd still be the sort of the face, if you will, of the company. I would go to a client. I would get everything in need. We'd fill out a creative brief. Um, and a scope document for whatever the project was. I would get them to sign off on those documents. So now I knew exactly what the project was. Then I would post that project to Odesk or to Elance, and I would get bids for it from all over the world. Someone would come back and say, okay, I can do that whole thing for $400. bucks." i would say, great, thanks. Go back to the client and say, okay, this will be $4,000. And they'd say, great, sounds awesome. And I would hand the project off. I'd be a project manager I would work eight days on it. It would take me a quarter of the time and I would net you know, 3600 bucks for about eight hours of work instead of $4,000 for 100 hours of work or whatever I was doing before. And that was a big shift for me to realize that there's a better way to do, even client servicing, there's a better way to do it.
1: Well, and I think a lot of times, I mean, clients want that too, right? I mean, in terms of, I, I just look at it from the, from my perspective in the legal industry i mean you know the the tried and true model has always been trading time for dollars i'm i'm definitely going away from that model um but it it it's a challenge because that's how everybody relates to uh to the legal industry but you're exactly right i mean when you trade time for dollars there's only a certain amount of time <laughs> in a day i mean there's only a certain amount of time that you can capture and at that point in time the only way to scale it is to add more people and the only way to really remain small and still scale is to figure out a way to essentially not customize everything right i mean you you have to sort of have something that you can put together put the time in create something and then it can be utilized on a larger scale
2: yeah i mean that's that's very correct and something you just said i i believe that we don't even maximize the time that we have, much less trying to fill it up with other stuff. You know, when everyone's like, "Oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy." And I'm like, "Man, you know, you had the same 24 hours as Einstein and Da Vinci." And <laughs> and and somehow we've not created that much. So there's there's got to be a better way to a better
1: use of our time than what we're doing now. So, do you help people with that as well? I mean, do you help people with time management, with efficiency and all that? Uh, yeah, I mean if you look
2: at the 4-hour work week, uh, all Tim Ferriss is is he, he's an efficiency expert. That's what he is. He's all about the 80-20 rule. That's all he that's all he really when you look at all of his different trainings and what he does, he tries to get you most of the way there in the least possible amount of time. That's almost every single thing he talks about. So I find in my regular everyday life, I do the same thing. I'm a very efficient person. Um which can be irritating, you know, not only to me, but to the rest of the world around me when I see people doing things in ways that, then I'm like, Oh God, if you just did this in this order, it would totally be better. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, that's, that's what you got to bite your tongue a bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, my coaching clients, I, I, I try to help them in a, I, I well, I suppose what I would consider a very holistic way. It's in, I think it's what made me a, a decent d- designer and branding guy is that I, um, I, I could look at it from a, you know, I, I I forgive me for this, but I just had this conversation. I just uh, interviewed a branding guy in the show. When you talk about brand and this relates to what we're talking about is a good branding person has a background in history, you know, they know history, they know pop culture, they know design, they know all of these different facets that make a brand, which is not a logo, right? It's a it's a promise. So, when we talk about efficiency it's being able to know this sort of scope and scale of everyday life and how things kind of fit together. And I think just a certain kind of person can, can see that as for what it is. Again, sort of to reference the matrix. You can sort of see the matrix. And then start batching these processes together. And I wouldn't call myself by any means like the most efficient batched process guy. But as I get busier with my podcast, which is getting more and more downloads every month, it's forcing me into doing things. It's forcing me into batching and, and outsourcing, um, which is a good problem to have, but it's uh, it's some growing pains.
1: No, it's a great problem to have, but, it, and you're exactly right. I mean, I'm finding the same thing with mine. I mean, I when I first started it, I was actually outsourcing my podcast in terms of I would do the interviews, and then I'd turn them into an MP3, and then uh, Jamie Tardy had a company called Duncast. I don't know if you if you, know about that company or or knew about it but she would basically she had a company that would convert and you know set up your your illustration set up everything your your blog get the intro and outro um and do the artwork for the podcast and everything and that was the way that I got started because I just found wow I just if if I wait for for myself to have the time to do this it's going to be never and I had been wanting to launch a podcast for a couple years And then after a while, I found out, well, okay, I I can sort of bring this in house. And then I trained uh, one of my assistants um, to do it. But if I didn't have the help to do it, it would be incredibly difficult to do it in a consistent way. Um, And especially as as you start getting more and more downloads and getting more and more people interested in it and contacting you and, and those sorts of things. I mean, it just sort of compounds itself so yeah I, I agree with you it's completely necessary um, to do that and it's smart to do it I mean those are the best podcasts out there are the ones that are consistent and they only are consistent because they've utilized um, good people to help them
2: I know from listen well there's, but- there's there's two things that make people stop listening to podcasts number one is inconsistency and number two is bad audio quality so you've got you I, I will say you have good audio quality what's your what's your gear set
1: up my gear is Audio-Technica, the ATR2100. Okay, good. And um, I it's USB right into my MacBook Pro. That's it.
2: Okay, that's and cool.
1: I, the eCam recorder through Skype. And it was funny because when I was looking at a microphone and I was going back and forth between, you know, I could get a $300 um, Blue Vetti or I can't remember what it's called. A, you know, there, there's all this range yeah. of microphone. And there was a podcaster who, I think actually John Dumas was interviewing him at the time, and, and John said, this was a long time ago, John said, man, what microphone are you using? You, you, your audio is amazing. And uh, he said, believe it or not, it's a $35 microphone <laughs> called the Audio-Technica 2100. <laughs> and. You betcha! I went right onto Amazon and ordered that sucker right then and there. Now I think I last time I looked, it's they're charging seventy bucks for it now, but I got this thing for thirty four ninety five.
2: Nice, it's good. Mine's only one hundred nineteen bucks, so it's I, I'm with you. Except I, I believe I'm a hardware believer. I don't believe in the software. I go all hardware.
1: Well, and I I have the it has a DLR um, option, you know, where Excel. I could hook it Excel. into a separate yeah. mic. Um, board or setup which I may eventually go to but so far I've just hooked it right up to the MacBook Pro and it seems to work pretty well.
2: Yeah, I like the XLR setup because and not, not only just for me, but most of the people I interview aren't they, they don't have professional setups. So when I have when I have a mixer and I can actually bring their level up and I can control their treble and their bass and their mid-range and actually bring their audio quality up if they're not on a professional setup it's great
1: yeah that's the big difference because obviously you can't control how somebody else sounds right yeah
2: and that and that requires post-production, which I don't do. I don't edit my shows
1: man we're we're the same in that regard. I, I don't first of all I don't have the time second of all <laughs> um, I, I, I produce all of them. I edit all of them, but I don't
2: do anything in between. I don't like because I have ads and stuff I put in mine and I have little jingles and stuff but i I don't uh I don't when I start the recorder and I stop it, I don't do anything in between.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm same way. And that's why, you know, some people ask about that. Oh, if we mess up, can we stop and start over? I said, no, I just, we, it's just a conversation. There's no right or wrong. (laughs) We're, we're, we're just talking. Yes. Well, so tell me what I know before you work with someone and you've talked about a couple of books that obviously have influenced you. I always thought it was fascinating. You require that, um, whoever it is, read certain books. I think you have your list of like, I think it's six books. Um, Can you talk about that? I think that's interesting and and what books they are and um, why you require that before you work with somebody.
2: Yeah, my first foray into that that concept was in 2010 when Crush It! came out. I was doing a lot of social media consulting at the time and I kept finding that I would walk into these meetings and I would have to explain overarching concepts of social media to these people that were very clearly and more succinctly uh, explained in the book Crush It. So I just said, hey guys, and I would bring them a book. I said, would you mind before the next meeting just reading this? And we would meet the next, and it would make everything better. Because they were like, oh, I totally get what you're saying now. So um, I have this on my show. I have these books called The Sexy Six. And for, for, so my audience um, is generally people that have sort of found themselves to be unemployable, but they have a lot of fear around what to do next. They don't really know what to do after that. They just know they don't want to be doing what they're doing now. And I bring people on my show that have gone through that process and then achieved a lot of success. So we talk about that time in between when they became unemployable to what they did to become successful. And through these sort of casual conversations, all of these nuggets fall to the floor that people can, can take and um, I don't like I'd like to do what you do, which is I just structure a, a very loose conversation. I have a little a couple of beats that I like to hit uh, with each person. So I have a little bit of a flow. But but generally um, I follow the, the phraseology of of uh, of um, <laughs> Bill Cosby that he said to um, Billy Crystal, which was never let him see you work. <laughs> so I, I like that I, I, I do have an agenda sometimes for the conversations, but rarely does anybody realize that I'm going through that agenda. So, <clears throat> um, excuse my, again, excuse my throat clearing. Um, but what I found was if people want to go and they want to start changing their lives, these books that I've put together re- when read in this order, they can open up the same exact front door they've had for many, many years But their entire landscape will look differently when they read these books. And that is a very important kind of piece, too. Um, It's enough of a carrot, enough of a nugget to follow that people will stay inspired and go through the hard part of starting their own sort of online business or solopreneurship, if you will. So the the books in this order are um, number one is Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, and that basically lays out the foundation. That's the vocabulary of how to think about money. And then his second book, which was called The Cash Flow Quadrant, is the second book in the Sexy Six. So if you got the vocabulary, this one starts getting you thinking into sentences um, for for, for finance. The third one is The Four-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. We talked about that. All about efficiency, all about options, all about how to start... Uh, working smarter, not harder. The fourth one, which was my most important, this is the book that that uh, to me, I could interview 500 millionaires in one room and I could say, what's been the number one book that's influenced you the most? And this would be, uh, they would raise their hands the highest, which was your friend and mine, Michael Gerber, uh, with uh, The E-Myth Revisited. And to me, that really was my major game changer. And then um, <clears throat> the fifth book is a book guy by Tom Rath. And when people don't quite understand what they're great at and what they should really be focusing on, this book will find it for them. It's called Strengths Finder 2.0 by Tom Rath. And really, that's, it's the only one of the six that you have to buy brand new and you have to buy the hard copy. You can't do an audiobook version. You can do the other five. Um, and you have to buy it brand new because... It contains a code that you put online. the The book is basically a summary of an online test that you have to take. So you take the test, then the book tells you what the test means, basically. And then um, book number six is a Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk, especially if you're if you're going to be doing anything online. And again, you read those six books in that order, and you're and I kid you not, your life will be different. You will come. And it's, they're not they're not foo foo. They're not like. They're not like self-help books. They are very. They're all very practical and very action-oriented. Rubber meets the road. How do I become successful in this world?
1: Well, and they all cover different things, which are all part of the the package, right? That you're. Yeah, that's what I mean.
2: You go through those, and you will have gone through the eight steps to becoming a successful solopreneur.
1: Why do you think it is? And I I agree with you. I mean, every time I just had this happen yesterday. I met with a um, very successful entrepreneur. Uh, here in town. And uh, we were just chatting and, uh, you know, I had actually reached out to him to come onto my podcast and he wanted to meet first and and chit chat and we're talking. And of course, the E-Myth Revisited came up and um, he, like everyone else, just like in your experience, I said, uh, you know, what's your favorite? Book, he goes. Oh, by far, e must He's like, I've read it seven times. If you looked at the book copy I have, it's highlighted every which way. I've got notes everywhere in it. I, it, it's amazing to me, and it's just kind of fascinating to me. I, I'm always curious. I mean, why, why that book is is separated, you know, from everyone else. I mean, I, I love what I love about it is the simplicity and the the storytelling aspect where it's really, okay, we're walking through this person's business, right? We're walking through Sarah and the pie shop. So you can like relate to that. And then of course, the the second part of what I love is the franchise model of it. I, I'm curious what was your what was your take from it? What, what did you love about that book the most?
2: Well, for me, it it caught me at a time when I was, at a big crossroads in my life. I just coming back, come back from Europe. Um, I had, uh, spread my parents ashes there for four months. I had, I, and I had literally $14 to my name at the time when I read it. And weirdly I was fine. Like I was like, all right, I got this. I got to start. I, we, I, all I knew was that i never wanted to do client service work again. So I knew what I didn't want to do, which was helpful. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And for me, I loved the storytelling aspect. That was great. But for me, I, I remember right where I was. I was sitting in City Park in Denver when I read it. And for whatever reason, I'd had friends for years in the business. But for me, I read that book and said, "Oh, this is network marketing. this this what he's talking about is the exact model that all the network marketing companies want someone to realize that they are each each person is a franchise. And once I made that made sense of that, I was like, "Oh, I should just find a network marketing company to do because I don't have any money and they build the whole business for me. And you know, they they have the whole all the structure. And so if I realize that I'm the I'm one franchisee and I just help other people become franchisees, then that's what I'll do." And I did. I I sent an email right after that to somebody and and it's ultimately what triggered me down this road that I'm on now was just kind of that that realization.
1: Uh, that's fascinating. Cause I, I mean, I obviously thought about that component of it when I was reading it, but I'd never thought of it to the extent, you know, that, that you did. I was, I got hooked and it's just kind of a interesting study in the psychology of different people and how they're, how they're driven and what motivates them. But I just got really hooked on the, on the systems, the process, the franchise element of it, not from the perspective of just franchising, but from the broader perspective of no matter if you buy a franchise business, if you start a business that you then franchise, or if you run a business that's never going to be franchised, the bottom line is you are going to be more successful if you have systems and operations and efficiencies in place. In fact, you have to have those in place. I was
2: going to say that there's no... that. The, the coolest thing about that book to me was that everyone becomes a franchise, no matter what their company is, what their business is, or how big it is. If you can start thinking of yourself, a solopreneur is a franchise. Is it That is what a solopreneur is. So if you can start thinking about that and then start thinking, okay, if I'm this business and that's what happens is that we represent ourselves on Facebook and on social media as ourselves, people's personal Facebook pages do 20 million percent more business than their business pages do. Why? Because it's them. They are that person. They are that franchise. So once people kind of buy into your brand as a person, which is what they would need to do as a franchise, your sales go up. I mean, again, this is my world. I'm a solopreneur. So that that's, that's why I think of it. But it's no different than someone who has to open up a, bi- a business and create systems within that business to make sandwiches the same every single time, do payroll the same every single time, train their people the same every single time. So as we work, in our even on, in our individual businesses, if I can create like screen flow videos to show how I edit my podcast or how I do my Twitter strategy or whatever I do, that's me doing what a franchise would do. I'm laying out the groundwork just like a franchise would. So it's just a mindset to me.
1: Yeah, and it, it, it helps, I think, a lot of people get rid of fluff, you know, because the idea is even if you're not going to replicate your model, you need to think in a way that how can I replicate this 5,000 times over? Well, right. so you, you start running you start running things through that model, and boy, you get rid of a lot of stuff quickly because you go, well, I can't do that. can't do that. There's no way I could do that. That would be ridiculous right. to try to do and repeat. Um, so- and, and that's what I loved about it. It's just so... Ah, it's great. I could talk about that for a long time, Uh, (laughs) but you know, I want to talk before we end because we've been talking for thirty-five minutes now. Uh, It's been just flown by, Um, but I want to ask you because I think it's such an important part in what you do in working with people who are at that point where they've decided, okay, I can, I'm no longer employable. Now what? You know, passion plays such a big part in that. I mean, you know, today everybody loves to talk about passion. I love to talk about passion. And I think in an ideal world, we would all know our exact passion and then form a viable business around it. But that just so often doesn't even seem realistic. And I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on that. I mean, do you think people should should follow their passions down the entire rabbit hole or maybe follow sort of a direction that's made up of, okay, here's what I've sort of done, here's my experiences, here's what maybe I'm good at, and then find their passion along the way. I'm just kind of curious what your experience is with working different people or what you think is the right way to go because you hear it all the time. You hear people go, oh, I'm just not passionate about what I do. Okay, well, what are you passionate about? And and a lot of times they don't know. Right.
2: I, I think that passion has to have a key part. I'm, again, the only way I frame this is as... If you're going to start a business, whether it's yourself or you're going to start a, a franchise of some sort, you you literally can't do it. Um, well, I, I shouldn't say do it. You can't sustain it if you don't have a passion for the subject matter at hand. You can't just start a dry cleaning business if you're not into that, or if your passion is not to you know. If you if you've got this if your main goal is because you want to go surfing four days a week, that means and you'll take whatever business you can to work for three days a week so you can go surf the other four days a week. Then, then that's one thing. But if you want to start your own thing, passion I I believe has to have a real key uh, element in it. And, but to your point, I I my belief is that. Everything you've been doing up until this point has trained you for whatever your business is going to be. So, if you went, to, if you have a PhD from Harvard in psychology, but you want to become a, you know, a magazine author or whatever, that's okay because that some of the, what you've done at Harvard will have prepared you for that. What um, we have episodes on the Solopreneur Hour called "Find Your Swing," where. People write in and they tell us what their background is, like what their education was and what their skills were and then what their passion is. And we get to help them live create an online business based on what they already know how to do. And I think anybody can do that. Some, someone's making a million dollars this year from teaching people to use Excel spreadsheets. I guarantee it. So there's a, there's a niche for everybody and I think the people that are most successful in those niches are very passionate about their subject matter. And the way I frame it to them is, "What could you talk to me about right now that you could bore me off my stool because you know so much about it?" Um, that's I, the. Thing I love that,
1: you- that. I love that. I mean, your 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 example on the Excel spreadsheet is so funny because <laughs> one of my one of my closest friends is a uh, CPA, and you know he's been the. Um, CFO of a company for you know fifteen years now, uh, a small business done really well, and you know I've talked to him a lot, and he's talked to me a lot about you know online business and some of the stuff I'm doing and some of the stuff with the podcast, and and I've always told him, you know, he's always said, "Man, I wish I had sort of something I could do that." On. I go, Well "Just tell me what 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 are you really really great at?" And it was so funny. He said, "I am like, I'm a kick ass Excel spreadsheet maker," <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I said, "Really? I well then, I mean." There's, I said, I'd i pay for that. I hate Excel. I mean, yeah. I don't want to create anything in Excel. Um, and so
2: 10 everyday uses for Excel that I bet you didn't know. You know, that leads people into a sales funnel, which takes them to his webinar, which then he sells a course for $147 on how to be a super Excel ninja. And he makes $20,000 a month by running
1: $1,200 of Facebook ads. Next. Yeah, exactly. And that's to all started from from, a, a passion. I mean, he got good at that in part because it was part of the job, but he just really enjoys it too. Um, and so I think that's part of it. It's just kind of interesting because, you know, you hear, I recently heard Mark Cuban talk about, and he's a big believer, he just poo-poos passion from the perspective. Of, he goes, oh, I just think that's a bunch of hogwash. He goes, you know, find something you're good at. And then when you become excellent at it, and you you can you can see how it's becoming a viable business then you'll find your passion through it.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously he's very successful, but there's also a whole universe of business, especially online business that I, I don't believe that he's been exposed to. Our our little group of people, you know, people like John making $150,000 a month with a podcasting tutorial. You know, like that's that's stuff that most traditional business people don't aren't aware of.
1: Yeah, yeah, no I think that's right. I mean it's just kind of fascinating. But the um before we go, I definitely want to ask you and and see if you want to talk about it all, your your solo lab. Um I'd like to give you a chance to talk about your solo lab group and sort of what that entails and how people can learn more about that.
2: Yeah, it's um part of the the process of like actually I shouldn't say the process. Part of um Growing, You grow a podcast and all of a sudden, especially if it's in the entrepreneurial space um, like ours are, people start writing you a lot of questions. I mean, it just happens. You start getting some downloads. I think I'm going to have probably over 80,000 downloads this month. So there's a lot of people listening all of a sudden. And I, I mean, I can't even tell you the questions. I'm inundated with questions all the time. Meaning that the 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 uh, the marketplace has shown me that there's a lot of people that want my particular brand of expertise. and that's not everybody's because a million different people have coachings and trainings, but what happens is, especially when you have a podcast, people listen to you regularly and they like your voice, not your physical voice, but they like what what you're saying and the perspective you're saying it from, and they want to find out more or they want to learn from you. So, when that happened to me, I decided to create, um, whenever I'm working on something, like right now I'm working on a lot of different Twitter strategies, so I always say I'm in the lab. Like I'm kind of working on this thing. I'm in the lab working on it. So I created this group uh, mastermind called Solo Lab, and it's not expensive. It's $300 per quarter that people can join. It's 297 per quarter. Um, I'm going to be raising the prices soon because it's, getting, it's starting to get busy in there. And I we do, um, I do a weekly Google Hangouts, at least one. I'm doing two today. I did one right before this call. I'm doing another one at 6 o'clock tonight with them. And that allows them to get on and share what they're working on in a group environment. And we all get to sort of put them on the hot seat and talk to them. We have a really, really busy, super engaged Facebook group where people can work through their different – did you know logo ideas and business ideas and taglines and they post their podcasts and we get to go in and listen to them and review them and it's just this really great learning environment and more more importantly it's a more it's, it's a it's a really great action environment it's full of people that want to be there they're actively growing their business and so now you're doing one of those first rules which is surrounding yourself with the five people you know that that um that are, you know, you're going to become the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. So they're all spending time in Solo Lab and getting like all of this input from these successful or to be successful, certainly successful thinking motivated people. And I, <clears throat> I did that with first the idea that I just wanted to give them something to a place to go. But now it's really a very viable business for me. It's, it's a it's a great way to make passive income. Oh, I didn't mention I also give each Soul Lab member two 30-minute phone calls, which I started off as like a little bonus and then started enjoying it so much that I just included it as part of the membership now. So it does make my Mondays and Fridays very busy because I have co- private coaching clients as well. So I basically give them 500 bucks of coaching calls. Um, that's what I charge for. I charge t- uh, $500 a month for coaching calls. And then they get this all of this access, and um, and then all access to all my digital products. So I have a social media training, and then I have a new advanced podcasting course coming out. So that's what Solo Lab is in a in a big giant nutshell. And um, man, it's one of the most fun parts of my business. It's is getting to talk and hang out with all these people that are motivated.
1: Oh, well, I love that. I mean, it sounds awesome. I mean, the big for for those listening who who don't who've never participated in a mastermind or a membership group. I think the one thing uh, that surprised me more than anything that kind of seems like common sense right now, but I didn't really think of at the time was that, you know, the biggest value of these membership groups is the community aspect of it is just being able to dive in there. Yeah, it's the biggest value by far, right? I mean, it's, it's, you get to know these people, you get to, uh, you're basically hanging out with people who have the same exact struggles and thoughts, even though they're in totally different businesses. It yeah. feels like a family
2: now. It it really does to us.
1: Yeah, no, that's huge. i uh, what what is one thing, you know, there's gotta be you get all these people writing to you and, and and emailing you and contacting you. Has there been anything where somebody has said, Hey, can you help me with this? Which is sort of like, Huh, I never actually thought about that. You know, where they're sort of telling you, Okay, here's what I want.
2: There's been I mean, there's been a million on our find our find your swing. By the way, can I give the can I give the link for Solo Lab? Do, you, yes, do you? absolutely okay. It's just it's just iwantsololab.com. Perfect. So easy enough. I want solo. Um, on our find your swing episodes, that happens three or four times an episode. So, um, I, this, my little funny anecdote for that is we had a guy that um was a classical guitarist. Well, here's what's happening. People write in. They write. They go to the website and they write their little find your swing question. Like, here's what I do, and here's what I want to do, and here's what my passion is. What do I do? And sometimes they're very wordy. So we've got a, and and I don't, we never read them ahead of time and we do them live on the show. So it's like, it's, it's, we never know what we're getting into, but that's, what's fun. Just like we said at the beginning of this call. Um, and so we, um, we had this, I, I, didn't realize it, but I had pasted two music related questions in a row and I hadn't seen the first one. I only saw the second one. So I thought we only had one music question and, uh, my co-host for the day, Dawn, was reading this question. I was I was reading another question because it was really long. And I was trying to figure out what to extract from it so that I didn't have to read this entire novella that this person had written. But at the end of what she said, I heard her say that this person was working on a a, a lullaby CD for kids to put kids to sleep. And... <laughs> I the only musical related email that I had seen was from a trombone player, and I was like, "Wait, this trombone player just wants to do a lullaby album?" <laughs> i just like, "Honk, honk, honk." I was like, "Like, you, I just see the kid falling asleep, and then the honk," and it was like, "It was the hardest I've laughed on the show ever because it just got me." I, the visual of this little kid falling asleep and a trombone player going <laughs> honk. In the background, or well, just totally destroyed me, and we laughed so I had to. It was actually the first and only time I've ever had to edit time out of the show because we were we were quietly sobbing with laughter for about three minutes because it just got our. It was perfect, um, so. <laughs> That was, but the the question before that, which was really kind of difficult, which this person was this classic guitar player and we kind of, oh God, I don't know what to do with that. But then it's weird how when you start talking through processes out loud, which is theoretically what you do in a mastermind, things just manifest. They just go, oh, actually, that's a really good idea. Let's do this. And then all of a sudden there's a business at the other end of it. So that's, I think, I don't know, without totally answering your question, that's how I answer your question.
1: No, I mean it's great. It happens. It, it is amazing when you can bounce things off people, and the things that you can take away from that. I mean, a, you know, a lot of, a lot of the legal work you know that I do with clients as I start working with them, it becomes legal slash consulting because now you're just sort of a trusted advisor that when they have questions or when they want to think through things, you know, you're giving them a different perspective, you know, and something they said obviously made you think about something different, but equally something you say makes them think about things differently as well, or puts it into a better frame, which is the whole point, right? Yeah, ideally.
2: That's uh, that's how that's
1: supposed to work. Well, listen, uh, I feel like we could talk for a while longer, but I'm going to let you go now at the 50-minute mark. Um, I really appreciate uh, I appreciate your time. I really appreciate you letting me pry and dive into your experiences and ask the one question that I know you hated the most. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I right. sort sort of did that yeah. by design, but I, I really uh, glad you were a good sport with it. And um, is sure. there anything that you'd like to leave anybody with? Any kind of you want to leave anybody with your email or the best way to get a hold of you? I know you gave the the Solo Lab information, um, but anything else?
2: I'm I, mean, I would love if uh, you check out the the show when you're not listening to this one uh,
1: at at uh, SoloHour.com. Sounds fantastic. Thanks again for your time. I appreciate it, Michael.
2: Uh, thanks for having me
0: thanks for being with us today on the franchise euphoria podcast if you enjoyed this episode please be sure to go to itunes and provide a review also please remember that although josh brown is a licensed and practicing attorney nothing contained in this podcast should be construed as legal advice because it is not The information contained in this podcast is general and educational in nature, and none of it should be relied upon as legal advice. That being said, if you have questions for Josh and would like to contact him, please email him at josh at franchiseeuphoria.com. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you tune in to our next weekly episode.